Welcome to Dig Beneath Design, a podcast where design professionals share how they communicate their work. I'm Sanaya Norton, landscape architect, and after 20 years of practice, I've seen how communication can make or break a project, no matter how great the idea. So I'm going out into the industry to uncover the best design communication strategies and tips to help us be more effective, more articulate designers and get more great ideas off the ground. Greg Grabash is not your average landscape architect. He doesn't even think of himself as a designer. He prefers the term design facilitator, empowering people to have a say in designing their own places. For the last 15 years, Greg's directed UDLA Design Studio in Fremantle, Western Australia. His work with Indigenous communities has led to projects with increasingly complex political scenarios. And his new venture, Brave and Curious, moves even more into the realm of facilitation, engagement and strategy. Find out how to build trust in tough towns and appeal to the better nature of government and developer clients. Learn to know when to stand your ground, when to walk away and when to park an idea for later. UDLA's office is a first floor warehouse space with a kitchen in one corner and a drum kit in another. There's three directors and an enthusiastic team of about 15. Greg speaks from the heart and really listens, leaving space for the conversation to evolve in any direction. He's got an infectious laugh, flying hair, and a slight air of chaos that recalls his days in a prog rock band. Let's get down to the good dirt on Dig Beneath Design. Um, my name's Greg Grabash, um, or Gregory, who I have my mum would call me. And when I went to university, I think I did nearly um, anything but the practical subjects. And I learnt about um, gender in society, Koori Continuum, uh, Koori, the local Aboriginal people in Victoria. Yeah, mm. It really got me thinking. And that's when I really thought, I've got to do something with design, not just build things. And so I learnt quite early that I was only going to be involved in a very small part of, of the design puzzle. And that leans on to exactly how we practice. Straight away we said our philosophy was about working with people and understanding how they would like their place. And we become design facilitators. And what does it mean then to be a design facilitator as mm. opposed to a designer? I actually put that on a higher level of being a designer. Everyone starts in with design with great context. You'd hope you'd have a really understanding of what you're designing. The Aboriginal history, um, the colonial history, the heritage, everything that comes up to this point and, and then what it's going to be used for, so all that strong context. But I, I feel that we're still missing the point of optioning with people. I'm talking about working up design options, exploring ideas, critiquing the idea there's a lot of people in the mix and you're facilitating that design process. So I just feel like you're doing a much more in, enriching design process than you would if you just did the context, talked to a few people and came back and then tried to work it out in the office. Yeah, and then just yeah. going back to your client at the next meeting saying, here it is, yes. here we've solved it. Yes. Do you like it? Yeah, that's exactly. Or even worse, going back to the community or, or the users that are going to use it and say, well, here it is. People don't accept that anymore. I keep on liking it too, saying, and, and you can always, you can say, well, whether you're designing a city or down to a backyard or someone's place, you first go and talk to the, to the user 
you don't go in there and say, well, I'm the greatest designer, here I am, I've designed your backyard and it has a spa, it has a chook pan, has all this, and I go, well, we, we don't need a spa, we, we don't use our backyard like this, and, and it would have been good if, if we could do, do these other things, you know. Oh, of course I should have talked to you first. I, I, I realise my perceptions are not your way of doing things. However, we accept that in city design and planning and that we accept other people's perceptions are placed on a place. The amount of projects that get done just because of the head politician wants it done is actually quite scary. We've got to keep on coming back to people and lobby politicians and say, well, no, you don't have a say. And if the place was just designed by a few head architects, politicians or designers, it would be a very boring world. How then would you approach a public project mm. with that support from community? Oh, great. First, you ask. With every project, you get out and ask as many people as you can who use that space. Get to understand their dreams and what they might want to do with that space. Once you get all that together, then you can design for that space for that time. So part of what you've described is talking to people who use these places that we work on and hope to help shape. The other part is reflecting what those people want up the chain to government departments, developers, whoever your clients are. Is that a different mode of communication for you? No matter what, you try and stay out of politics as, as a designer, but you can't. You're knee deep in it, or actually you're neck deep into <laughs> politics. A project we're doing at the moment is the Wadjamup Aboriginal Burial Ground Project. It's a statewide reconciliation project. It's pretty well where colonisation happened in WA, and all the Aboriginal leaders from across the state were brought down to this island and incarcerated. It was a way of messing up the whole different cultures that were in WA and uh, it was a great way for the colonisers to get out there and, and spread their agriculture and do sheep farming and all that sort of stuff. So this is a, a really important project for truth-telling and it's between the state government and the Aboriginal people of WA. There's got to be some real leadership happening here and if there's an acknowledgement of what's happened here and, and we treat this well, this will set everyone in a really good path to moving forward with, with um, Aboriginal people in Western Australia. Something that comes from you very strongly is sincerity. I can see that you believe wholeheartedly in what you're saying in this way of practising. Mm -hmm. Do people you deal with in government, do they share that? How do you persuade them to share your view? How do you deal with it when they have the opposite view? Mm -hmm. now, I come to work every day knowing I'm going to do something different and enjoy and excited about what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do the same old, same old. I, I'm not that sort of person. I wonder if there is people that are just a, a cog in the wheel, I guess, and do not think about what they're doing to make a difference. And with work, you can make a, a massive difference. you just got to think about what you're doing. I've always said that money or just making money is amoral, it's an amoral substance. But the work that you do, the values behind what you do, so you still can be economically viable, but it's the values that sit behind this that, that take you forward and take the well forward. Do you appeal to that in other people? Definitely. And you, you try and empower the people that you know that have those values as well to speak out more. Because there's a lot of yes people who are just biding their time to get to the next level of power. And I hate the word shame, but it does become that at some point, to shame people into doing better and thinking outside of their little place in the world. It's a pretty good motivator. <laughs>
<laughs> certainly is when the light comes in and you're seeing that oh. you're the one stalling everything. And it, it's certainly for a lot of us white Australians, there is that desire to change something in yes. how we work and how we practice. And yes. Yeah, I, I think so too. I see it in the younger generations. They all do want to make a change. And I, I realise now it used to be when you, you joined a firm, or well, how much is the pay? You know, how can I wrangle a little bit more here? You know, I'm valuable, you know. It's definitely not that sort of talk. So I've come here because I think I can help you change the world. They themselves are looking for value in what they do and their, their projects. And they want to see where design adds value. We made a decision at the start not to do greenfields in Perth, which is um, the major money spinner for, I believe, for landscape architects in Perth. Been for a long time. It's where most money gets made. Um, new suburbs, new developments. Exactly. You become the um, real estate agent's gardener in a way, showing off marketing a place. I believe you're defined by the work that you don't do. So you, you pick the projects that are going to take you forward and hopefully take the society forward as well. I never believe that you can start a project that's already on a wrong path and a lot of people say, well, it's better you getting in there, you'll be able to make a difference from the inside. You can't and you never do. You just end up in a very frustrating process because it's already set on a path and it's already set up its values. We always write a reverse brief or, or if we see a brief that could be better written or, or, or sent back, we always do that. We, we say, look, we believe we should go through a whole process of design with people. If community understands design, they'll want better things. So yeah. what do you tell people about the design process? What do you share? The clients through, through to the community, the end users go through the design process. So everyone's going through the same oh, thing. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. So everyone has input into that. So the client doesn't have to be scared about what's going on because he knows all the time and, and can have a say. And we also frame up what we're doing as well too so it's not a shopping list it's not like oh, i love a water park here you know in this square or whatever something like that so you you frame it up you get your values and principles and then you go through a design process with, with as many people top down bottom up as, as you can and everyone's feeding in, into the discussion have yeah. you ever had any um powerful personalities or people mess up that process so come in with a really top-down but yes. no I want to see this yes yeah I've, how do you deal yeah, with that I've, I've had up to premiers do that yeah. yes yeah it's terrible it's absolutely terrible it ha hasn't happened very often and it could be on on the election wheel because of how the election wheel is going they just don't want to take that risk with that election time um, I've done you know up north I've done some wonderful projects where we're doing a uh, cultural management plan or, or a living knowledge centre for a, a mob up there. But um, we got to the 11th hour and it was actually probably 5 to 12 and we'd worked out how this was all going to happen. The feasibility was right, it was a, it was a really good project and the, the head politician came in and said, um, no, we, we don't want this here because this is going to affect future development for us. And, and that's where we get all our money from. So it was just a nut. It went nut and we, yeah. had, we had elders crying around us. We had yeah. people very upset. To this day, that trust gets absolutely taken out. I've been fortunate enough being able to work on future projects with these people, but it was really at a point where I, the, the trust went in the whole process. Yeah. 
Wow, yeah. so it just ends up being some battles you win, some you lose kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Most you win because yeah. most of them you say your client understands very clearly the process that we're going in, into and that's why they've got us hopefully. You know, if they don't, we, we stop it there. There may be a point within the Wadjamup project that we go because we haven't got leadership from local elders and leadership from the state government to actually provide meaning to this burial ground, we'll, we'll park it until we do have leadership behind this. Otherwise, we'll be building something physical out there that won't have any meaning. You work a lot with Indigenous communities, with local people. Mm. I'm really keen to know about specific communication challenges with that. Maybe the first time you did it. I think I've nailed it down to its relationships and, and just really interested in wanting to learn about another culture or wanting to learn about people. And this doesn't have to go to everyone. So if you run a firm and if you've got people that are, are not interested to go out to talk to people... Don't, don't put, send them. Don't send them. No, no, because we need people in all different ways to, to do things within our firm, you know. If they're all like me, the place would fall apart. And they'll, they'll tell you out there, if there's two people like me, the place would fall apart, you know what I mean? So it's very lucky it's just me. But um, I'm super interested in people and super interested in listening to people and get out what we can. Halls Creek was probably one of my first projects where I was a massive learner and I was asked by Landcorp, the state developer, to go out there and they wanted to do a, um, a development within Halls Creek. Halls Creek gets thrown up in the papers all the time as one of the worst drug and alcohol and all that sort of stuff going on. I love Halls Creek. It's a wonderful village. It's a beautiful community too. It has more community sometimes than a lot of our communities in urban areas, you know, people not talking to each other. Everyone knows everyone everyone's business but, but Halls Creek um, I went there and, and the typical way to start off is you get all the the politicians in the room you get the head CEO in the room and you get the head land call person in the room we said let's have a joint meeting to get this started and well, we did a lot of work and trying to organize the, the head community leaders and that to come in that no one turned up and I think I sat in the room looking across at the CEO and, and I said radio I, I went to the land court guy I said give us six months and thankfully he said, yes, yeah, I will. And I just went out and started walking the streets and started talking to people for, for six months. And this doesn't usually have to happen, but I just didn't know anyone up there. And I just had to get to know people. I had to get to understand the stories and everything like that. And then we understood that it's a trust in people like me coming up from Perth wasn't there. They've had so many people go up with really good hearts, wanting to do things, but it just falls in a heap all the time. It ended up being a great project because we ended up doing a town walk rather than a park because I said, look at all this area. We, we've got so much country that we go out. And we're out in the beautiful gorges. We're out doing things all the time. We don't need a park, you know what I mean? We, we actually need something for people to understand how wonderful place this is and the history we have and, and the Aboriginal people and the gold, you know, gold was struck up there. So we helped put a walk together so people that weren't scared when they stopped in Halls Creek, they actually did the walk around and they felt... Oh, I get to know this place a little bit more, build up the pride, you know. So that yeah. six months you spent, how often would you go up to Halls Creek? Yeah, I think I would spend probably a week at a time each visit and I probably did oh, four or five visits, something like that, yeah. And that's not usually the case, but Halls Creek was a particularly hard place. It was something that we had to sort of break and get relationships built there and and just got to know the champions and, and understand and built trust. And a lot of them just said, oh, this, this white fella's not going away. 
he's, he's not going away. He's coming back. In fact, he's pretty funny, you know, like, you know. And, and so you start to get to talk and he, and he listens and I start writing down things and we, and we come up with an idea. Normally, you can actually do a whole design process in three to four months. So a month apart on each of the design processes, um, you can get them done really quick. When people say, oh no, it costs too much money to talk to a lot of people. And I also like doing it very low key. Yeah, no, what does that mean? No town hall sort oh, of excellent. work. Yeah. I reckon you can get across a lot more people and in their own sort of situation and a bit like you and I are talking now, very comfortable yeah. way of being. And you may talk with three to five people or one person, a champion, but you get to talk to a lot of people. And you get to go into a fair bit of depth quickly or, you know, quicker than a town meeting, say, when everybody's scared to speak up or just the most angry person speaks for the whole time. Political sort of chest beating. You you actually get to learn how to do design and two-way learning happens. So they get to learn to be designers that way. The other way, you're just doing a presentation. Very little learning comes out of that. What about when there's conflicting views or conflicting aims for a place? Very rarely happens. And if if there is, well, we, we drop those ones, you know, because we always come back with options and the options are doable options and the options have options within options as well too. It's all very open and they're all doable. And as a good designer, you always have options anyway. You often it? have a favourite option though. Yeah, do you, do yeah. you ever <laughs> go, how about this one? You do, but I've just learned to drop that. Of course you do. And like I said, you always have a first image in your mind, but that gets shattered thousands of times and you've got to let that happen. So what's been a, a challenging moment mm. for you, like a lesson you've learned when something hasn't gone so well mm. communication-wise? So, so there are projects that you I think are going to go really well and they're set up really well and you think the client really understands what's going on. Again, good projects rely on good clients, able to trust in that two-way trust. And it gets to a point when you realise the client actually is not letting the process go. The client actually wants to have a real hold on the process and they do have what I call a plan under the table. You have a choice then. You have a choice to say, well, we'll put that into the process. It only means as much as what everyone else's input does or we stop it at this point. If you want this plan to go ahead, after all this, you've actually demonstrated no trust in the process or no trust in the people that we're talking with and and they won't do it again. The people will be very hesitant to go into a design process again and this has happened a couple of times. It happens very much with local governments and there's certain politics or just certain strong people that don't want to go through a process, they just want to say this is what we want the end result to be. And if that is the case, we say look, pace up to this point if you don't mind, we'll tell everyone that's been involved with it, this is where it's got to, and it's on park, none of your stuff has been wasted. So again, trying to keep that trust, because you go into a contract with people on this process, really. Mm. And, and the biggest part of it is actually making people empowered and trusting the next one that comes along. Because um, when you're going into projects, you'll see it all the time, and the Horse Creek one was right, why people don't want to come into meetings or talk to you is because they've had a really bad experience from the time before. 
And when that does happen, when your client pulls out the plan under the table and you have to take that stand or give them that ultimatum almost, mm. do you stay calm? Are you able to stay calm <laughs> when you're communicating that? Because it sounds like that would be quite yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, a shock. You do personally get really upset about it. And when I wasn't so experienced, I tried to push things through and it becomes even worse. So trying to pull that plan through and trying to disseminate that into the talks doesn't make the talks better because the general public get what's going on and if something is not right, they'll know straight away. Aboriginal people, when you're talking to Aboriginal people, they straight away look at your heart in a way. They want to know what's behind what you're doing and if they don't see a genuine thing in there, you're at, you're gone. You can't talk to any other family. or You're pretty well cut off from being part of this process. You know, They may give you a couple of chances but generally, if you be someone is not seeing as genuine who wants to help the causes of, of Aboriginal people, you cut off. So I'd rather keep that than just try to get some money out of the project. And you do get cranky and emotional about it, but yeah. again, you are the projects that you don't do. You've got to work out when to pull out. And experience tells you when you can see those things coming. And the earlier you pull out, the better. <laughs> what advice would you have for say, a young landscape architect entering the profession now? Remember why you went in, into the practice. So remember the values that you... And, and if you haven't got values, get them. <laughs> As in, make sure you do want to see why you want to do something to change the world. And it doesn't hurt. Even if it's the smallest thing, you know. You, you want better, healthier parks. Great. Fantastic. Grab that and don't forget it when you go into practice because your first practice you'll be learning all the technical sides of landscape architecture and you'll be under the management of, of directors there and um, they'll have their own values and, and ways of doing things. And you could be just doing greenfields and you could be just rolling out these things. Learn it, learn all that stuff, but don't forget those values because there'll be a point when you'll go to another stage and it may not be in that firm, maybe starting your own firm that you are able to actually use those values and, and work on them. If you could look back and see yourself starting out in, in this profession, say, starting mm. out in landscape, what would you say to yourself? What do you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started? Don't work so hard as a director that you don't know when you, you need other people to help you at that level. So it was a time when I got to 20 people and everything was coming back through me because I was the most experienced just to make sure everything's right. When you got to 20 people, it was just myself and I didn't realise but I, I was stressing out and I was starting to get hives. My body was starting to tell me there's something wrong. I left that too long and uh, now I've got two other directors and we're only 15, we've two or three directors. It's so easy, it's so much easier. Like we can think about things again. Also document, write down everything you learn from each project as much as you can. Just write a couple of pages because it may become a book one day. As soon as you get it out on paper you actually get a clear thought about where you're heading with things and it may just change your, not the values, but it changes the way you're thinking about things all the time. You're always learning. Thanks Greg. Thank you so much for being on Dig Beneath Design. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Yeah. It was wonderful. You've been listening to a podcast of Dig Beneath Design, here to help you in your daily design communication challenges. So I'd love to hear from you, what you think of the show, what you want to know. Tell me the design communicators that inspire you. 
Or maybe there's a great story from your own experience that can help your fellow designers. Find more interviews at sndc.com.au forward slash Dig Beneath Design. Dig Beneath Design is brought to you by SNDC. Original music by Adam Jones. Sound and photography by James Norton. Engineered and mastered at Sound Kitchen Sydney. I'm Sunaya Norton. Join me next time for more good dirt on Dig Beneath Design. <laughs>